Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everybody inside and outside of the gender spectrum, and welcome back to Stardom Quest. Uh, this is part one of our long-form beginner's guide to stardom. Uh, so over the course of the next, well, I don't know how, how long, to be honest, we're going to be putting together this uh, guide, basically, on how to get into stardom for new fans. Uh, it's going to be uploaded in full uh, on this feed that you're listening to it. You're listening to the show on this feed right now, so you do know it is on the feed. But uh, it will be uploaded to YouTube separately, so each part is going to have like its own intro, which, if you're listening in audio, is going to feel really awkward, but it has to happen, so it has to happen. But uh, I am, as always, Alex, and I am joined by Dylan. Hi, Dylan. Hey, Alex. Hey, guys. Uh, that was a really convoluted intro for something that didn't need to be that convoluted. I'm going to be real with you, buddy. Uh but yeah, we're, we're here to give you a little bit of a beginner's guide, a, a, a guide to the wondrous world of stardom. Yeah, because we've, we've been watching stardom for a long time. Uh, we've been doing audio on it for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah. So we kind of know the ins and outs of stardom at this stage. And ultimately, every time there's new fans, they have a lot of questions. Um, and the answers to those questions usually remain the same. So why the hell, like, why not put together this guide uh, just to help people learn the ropes when it comes to stardom? Um, we're going to get more detailed as we go on, but this first one is just going to be, like, the barest essentials on how to get into stardom. Uh, so I think the first place I want to touch on is a lot of people always wonder, how do I watch stardom? Right, like, that's the big question. Where do I watch stardom? How do I watch it? What's the format? So we're going to go into that first. Um, and I guess the easiest thing here is your best friend is Stardom World. Stardom World yeah. is their uh, VOD service. It's their website where they put up all of the shows. Um, not in a timely manner, but it's where the shows do end up eventually. And it's it's relatively cheap. I haven't really checked what it is lately. I think it's like 999 yen a month. And the yen has gone down, so it's roughly like seven eight dollars i think yeah so like for the price you get all of the stardom shows and the entire backlog of stardom and if you ever well, the chance i mean most of the <laughs> well okay you get you get a lot of the backlog of stardom and not all of it but you do get some cool stuff from the early years uh they have pretty much everything from kind of what a lot of people consider the golden age which was that you know 2019 to 2020 run that they had um so you do have a lot to go back and watch if you really fully want to dive into stardom. Um, but yeah, like as far as, as watching it goes, Stardom World is, is like the first place to go, right? Yeah, totally. Um, stardom World's definitely the smartest, but there are also uh, other methods. I'm not going to get into the yeah. uh, nefarious methods necessarily uh, so quickly, but We Are Stardom on YouTube every week is also a very good method to kind of dip your toes in. There's not going to be any subtitles. It's, it's made for a Japanese audience. It's made for TV, in fact. It cuts up the matches. But, you know, We Are Stardom, they have most of the big matches since December of 2019. Um, and you can find, you know, most of the World Championship matches and Wonder of Stardom Championship matches, even some of the tag matches, Future Stardom Championship matches, uh, tournament matches. There's a lot of good stuff on that, though it is all in Japanese and it's not very easily, uh, you know, sorted through i guess you could say but you could definitely if you want to dip your toes in and kind of look at what the matches have to offer uh find out who your favorite is early on without having to pay uh i would definitely suggest we are stardom it's on youtube 
So check that out. Um, but definitely the, the easiest way to get the translated content, which there isn't that much of, but there's enough to keep you in the know in the active moment. Uh, I would go to Stardom World, of course. Yeah, so Stardom World, um, they, they they translate the promos on there and they do subtitle them. Um, so, it, you know, if you desperately need English, then that's like the obvious place to go. Um, there are issues with Stardom World. If just being right up front, Stardom does not live stream. You cannot watch their shows live apart from a, a few exceptions. Um, but they don't live stream. Stardom World like physically cannot stream shows live. Um, so there is a delay in the shows going up. Um, if you happen to have your like card details change, it is very difficult to change them on Stardom World. At least I found that. I had to like deactivate my account, make a new one, put in new credit or d- debit card information, and go from there. Right. So it can be a bit picky with that. And uh, a lot of people have issues signing up because I think at one point it asks you for your card details, but it doesn't tell you that you have to flip the month and year at a certain yeah. part. So yeah. everybody's always like, oh, why doesn't this take my card? And then it's actually because you have to put in the year first and the month after when you're uh, logging in or when you're signing up and registering your account. So not exactly the most straightforward thing in the world. Um, and I think the I last will say, one... I will say, sorry for interrupting. I will say that I, a lot of these issues are just Japanese broad- broadcast issues in general. You'll find this mm-hmm. on a lot of, of Puro um, streaming services, not Wrestling Universe. I think Wrestling Universe is the only one that's pretty uh, incredibly accessible and obviously New Japan World. But if, you, if you've ever tried anything else, you know, the Dragon Gate streaming service, I mean, if you want to go deeper into Joshi, there's even harder to reach matches and shows. So relatively, it's a it's a fine streaming service with some bugs, but you know, I, I think that's kind of expected from a lot of Japanese companies these days. But go ahead. Yeah. Um I, I think there is sometimes an issue as well when you sign up that the email that they send you to register your account takes a while to send. <laughs> like I don't know if that's instant either. Um so Stardom World has its pros and cons, but it is essentially the only place to legally watch every stardom show. So that is point a that is where you start um and yeah i don't i don't think they upload the shows in full either anymore like they don't. They, they used to they, yeah they upload match by match like it, it, this is all one guy uh translating editing uploading um so he uploads the and shows also recording the shows you, you and could recording see him, the shows you could see yeah. him record the shows around the ring so yeah, yeah. They, they leave a lot up to to sunny specifically uh to do a lot of this stuff so obviously you a one-man team can't really produce as much as a full, you know, what what the, some other companies are working with when mm-hmm. it comes to their production team. Yeah, so, you know, the matches go up match by match. Uh, they used to upload full show files at the end, but they, I don't think they've done that for a while. Um, some people like the match by match style. I prefer that. I like being able to just, like, tick off each match as I go along, if, depending on how much time I have, rather than going into the full show. Um, but yeah, that's that's Stardom World. That's your plan. That's your point A. That's your starting point. Um, as Dylan had said, I think the YouTube is a really good uh, resource for people because it has pretty much everything going on. Like that's where the uh, that's where the uh, press conferences happen. That's where they upload like promos and challenges. And I mean, you don't need to speak Japanese to know. Oh, she came out and she has a belt. So 
they're going to wrestle, right? Um, and that's also where We Are Stardom is. And I think We Are Stardom is a great one because I feel like you could easily keep up with Stardom just through that. And yes, the matches are clipped, but you usually see about 10 minutes of them anyway. And like not that many Stardom matches will go be like cutting that much out if you only go 10 minutes yeah you don't so. really you don't really need to see a lot a lot of the matches that in stardom that do go 27 minutes if they air 18 minutes of it it's they know how to cut out the fat and not miss any major moments most of the time obviously yeah yeah um, so you're it, gonna similar get to, similar to what they used to do for ajw classics if mm-hmm. anybody's a familiar with that um this is a beginner's guide so i imagine you're not but yeah if you are (laughs) if you are they used to do that with the with the old major joshi company in the 90s and that is still used as a resource today because of how accessible it is um so we are starm is a very like eternal thing in joshi (laughs) like it's 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 a very great resource in my opinion yeah, so I mean, I know the episodes are only about a half hour when they go up on YouTube, but they do have pretty much everything. Like, they will keep you up to date as well as as you can be for free, basically. Um, and in the meantime, they upload everything else. So if you just watch the other stuff, well, no, it's not translated. Usually you don't need it to be translated. Um, so I, I, I do think the YouTube is a good resource, uh, just for people who are like don't want to pay for Stardom World. But then you can check it out there. Like with the the We Are Stardom show is is free. It's every week. I think it goes up on Tuesdays. Um, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, and the last thing then is the pay per views. So um, some Stardom shows air on TV in Japan, and when they air on TV in Japan, international fans can buy those shows and watch them live. That's the only reason that these are live. If the TV companies weren't already uh, streaming these shows, I don't think Stardom would have any interest. But since uh, since they are live streamed uh, on TV, they've decided that you can buy them internationally. Now, with the pay-per-views, they don't go up on Stardom World right away. There is usually a delay. Like if the pay-per-view is on a Saturday and Sunday, it's usually the Wednesday that the pay-per-view goes up on Stardom World. So there is a delay there. Um, and they usually, I don't know, I've, I don't think I've ever watched a, one of the pay-per-views on Stardom World. They do go up as full show links, but they do translate everything for that one. Yes. Obviously, they don't, they don't do live translations, but they do translations for the Stardom World version. So, very awkward. Stardom is very awkward. You will learn this. <laughs> um, but the pay-per-views are basically the biggest shows. And we'll kind of go into later, like what you should watch and what you shouldn't watch. Um, but the pay-per-views are the big ones and they only tweet out those links like two days before the show or something like they leave it very lax. So if you're wondering how the hell do I buy this show? Generally they will put the pay-per-view link up like a day or two before the show. So just don't panic. Um, but pay-per-views are the only way to watch stardom live. That is a new blood and we'll describe what new blood is later. But, um, yeah, the pay-per-views are the they're kind of the big ones, but there there's a lot of them. I think that's the biggest issue. Yeah, I will say and this is probably not great. I will say that the one place where I personally would maybe recommend looking for alternative methods if you are very adamant about watching live is with the pay-per-views because they are very hard to access and they are very expensive for how often they run them. 
Um, so personally, you know, if, if, if you have a, if you want, if you want to do a watch party with one of your friends, you know, chip in for, for a pay-per-view and have a watch party in discord or something like that. That's always a smart idea. Uh, things like that. Uh, I, I actually just checked. They actually have started doing the individual match uploads for pay-per-views, uh, Ooh, which nice. they didn't okay. used to do, but yeah. now that is a thing. So they are the same as the other shows that we described earlier, but yeah, um, I think I think the Twitter is is another thing we're gonna have to talk about yes. like in depth a yes. bit. But <laughs> for as as for the pay per views on that point, they are definitely if if you wanna like be smart with which pay per views to buy because usually they're good. We watch Starm every every week, so obviously we know what's good and what's not good. But for a new time fan, you know it's it's a bit harder to maybe gauge what's worth parting with your money. And so I would just, you know, kind of like read, read the, read the room type sort of thing. I said it's always smart to pool in money and, you know, do watch parties on these shows. I, I personally like to do that because it's just a smarter investment than, you know, buying every. How much do the pay per views run nowadays for one person? I feel like they used to be thirty dollars each. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, just that, that's always my advice when it comes to these pay per views because they are great. And I mm-hmm. do suggest watching them live because Stardom Live is a whole different experience than them on delay. Yes. But you, you want to be smart with it, is, is all I'm going to say. Yeah, because this isn't a uh, an AW like once every three months thing. Like there's there's two pay-per-views a month generally because yeah. they give one to Samurai and one to the, the other channel. So there's generally two shows streamed live every month. So um, And sometimes it'll do double headers. And they do not bundle those double headers. You have to buy them both. Like the five star Grand Prix last year, uh, they had the first two days back to back. You had to buy those two individually. Like they don't, they don't do any uh, niceties. Which is another thing you will learn about Stardom if you actually try and watch it. This company does not care about you. It does not like you. If you speak English, it does not give a okay, shit. I think we're, I think we're getting a little bit too, a little bit too Just aggressive with that. We'll get into but, that a little bit later. But we'll get into we it a little bit later. International fans are definitely secondary to stardom right now. Um, but yeah, that is how to watch stardom in a nutshell. There's stardom world. There's the YouTube and there's the pay-per-views. Um, I know a lot of people will think, oh, yeah, pay-per-views. I will just go to the Great British Bake Off website to, to watch this. No. <laughs> that website for Stardom pay-per-views is the least reliable thing in history. You will miss finishes. You will miss matches. It's not worth it. Like, have a plan B and a plan C if you are going to try and watch on that website because it, it is there is no guarantee that it works. Um, so that's, that's something to warn people about because... Uh, I know a lot of people will just default to that website uh, for live streams, but it's it's just not worth it in my experience anyway. Yeah, it's it's a bit hit or miss with that. Uh, yeah, I, I think you covered it all. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the next thing is, now that you know how to watch Stardom, um, I think a, a key thing is knowing what to watch because they run so many shows, right? Um, so Stardom currently has three different, some people call them brands, but I wouldn't call them that. You have just the normal Stardom shows, you have New Blood, and you have Stardom and Showcase. Stardom and Showcase is kind of just like this weird world, slightly canonical, but kind of non-canon thing, 
with Reapers and Strong Machine families and Pose Offs and uh, non-stop Fatal 4-Way, False Count Anywhere matches and Hardcore matches. Essentially, Stardom and Showcase is where they just throw shit at the wall. Um, And these shows are never really all that necessary. Like... I when whenever we preview any of those shows, I say it does not matter who wins. Like the way they book the shows, it doesn't matter who wins. Like did it matter that Lady C won the shampoo match? No, she got a nice haircut and that was it. Did not matter beyond that. Uh, did it matter that three people pinned Micah at one point in a fatal four way? No, did not matter. So um, Stardom and Showcase, if it looks fun to you, you can watch it. Um, but otherwise, you can probably skip it, right? Like you, like these are not essential shows if you're just trying to flow in and see the good stuff. Like there's nothing on Stardom and Showcase that you're gonna come away from going, oh, that was great, that was fantastic. It is more so for people like us who are deep into the weeds to see something different from the roster, really. Yeah, and and I will say that Alex, my my esteemed co-host here, uh, is not a big fan of gimmick matches in general. I am. I absolutely adore gimmick matches, but I uh, echo his sentiment that these are not necessary to watch. Um, sometimes they are. You know, if if you're a big Saki Kashima fan, for example, you're going to want to go out of your way to watch her versus Shiri in a UWF match because that's interesting. It's unique. It follows her kind of story arc with Shiri, and it's like it's it's useful to watch, right? But you don't need to watch it if you don't particularly aren't drawn to it. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there are certain small things that you might miss here and there, but it's it's not going to affect your overall viewing of the company. Yeah, I mean, like, the Neo Stardom Army debuted on Showcase and was dead within three shows and is now 7-Up. And, like, if you never watched Stardom and Showcase, you'd still be cool with 7-Up because they're on the shows. Um, and most of their good stuff has been on the yes, mainline Stardom show. Yeah, uh, we do not talk about the casket matches. Uh with where they exploded Rossi Ogawa, I think, at one point. It was... Uh, the owner of the company. Yes. Yeah, very strange stipulation. So, Stardom and Showcase, you don't need to watch it. It's, you, you know, you know if, you're, if you have nothing to do and you like DDT-style wrestling, then it's, there's probably something for you. Otherwise, uh, avoid it. Um, the other... I wouldn't say avoid it. That's a bit, well, you that's know a bit what harsh, I mean. but... You know what I mean. <laughs> um... The other sub-brand then is New Blood, and New Blood is kind of a thing that they're trying to make take off, but it's a very iffy kind of thing. It's um, a very stop-start, I would say, is the best yeah. way to describe it. Like, the New Blood shows generally air free live on YouTube, um, so if you want to see the old ones, they are all up there, and a lot of the ones going forward will be on there, although they've tried to start New Blood Premium, which are pay-per-views. For the new blood shows um and the new blood shows as you might imagine given the name is meant to be about promoting the next generation of joshi wrestlers both in stardom and outside of stardom right like a lot of wrestlers from outside of stardom feature on new blood generally um and i think there's there's a few issues with new blood um one of them is that there is no defined what the hell is the next generation of joshi it just seems to be whoever they decide right because um, there's, you think, oh, maybe it's a rookie showcase. Maybe it's people under a certain age. Um, but then, like, Waka Skiyama has been the main character of it. And she's in her 30s and not a rookie, right? <laughs> like, 
So the the new bloat is a weird one, I think. Yeah, 100%. Um, it started a bit differently than it is now. It started very much heavily on the outsider incorporation. So a lot of Ihozans from Marvelous, a lot of Maria's from Marvelous, you know, just a lot of Diana, uh, inclusion. These are different Joshi uh, independent companies that they would kind of scout and have wrestlers come in and, and fill out the cards. Nowadays, they do that still, uh, but they usually keep it to the first two matches with those sorts of things. And then after that, it's more of a its own roster type of thing. You know, you have the star like kids, the not Haruka Umasakis. We'll talk about that eventually. Um, we have the the God's Eyes, right? The Mirai and, and the Amisores. A lot of people you'll see on regular stardom shows, but only a certain select few of them on these New Blood shows. So, yeah. in a way, it's it's becoming just a lighter, uh, a lighter roster for these lesser shows, you know, so they don't have to bring out the Julias and the Micas and the, the Big Dogs type of thing and just kind of have the, the younger talent younger quote-unquote like you said but i i still think there's a certain value to it uh it is kind of you know petering off a little bit right now but maybe maybe you'll pick back up by premium time yeah and um they are trying with new blood to kind of establish its own identity they have uh they are crowning new blood tag team champions which are like secondary tag belts for stardom um so that's gonna presumably be something exclusive to new blood that can maybe give it some importance because as of now like you get the occasional future of stardom match on new blood shows but they're never the big ones right like hanan and inaba was like the featured feud of new blood for the first few shows but their title match yeah Yeah. where instead of putting it in the main event of a new blood right so it's that kind of weird thing where they want New Blood to be important, but not too important. And so the show's in isolation, like you can watch them and have a decent time, but they're still trying to find a firm identity for those. So even though they're free, they're maybe not something you'd want to watch straight away either. You know, like I, I would watch them because obviously I'm knee deep in the weeds of Joshi wrestling at this stage, but for somebody who's just trying to flow in and learn about stardom, uh, New Blood is not the best representation of the company because you might see a 14-year-old from Diana wrestling Rena, and that is not really... It's a great match, but yes. it's not necessarily uh, for you. No, but that's not what you're going to see from normal stardom shows anyway. Yeah, um, I think I think just the beginning and what we're trying to describe is that Showcase and New Blood are... are they're, good, they're good shows and oftentimes enjoyable shows, but when it comes to getting into stardom and not really having a firm grasp on the company yet, they aren't the first things you're going to want to seek out. If you start really enjoying it, and hey, if you start really enjoying uh, wrestlers who have more of a of a hardish style and they do a lot of hardcore matches on Showcase, go out of your way to watch Showcase. If you like if you like wrestlers like Starlight Kid or like Rena, you know, some of the younger wrestlers, then definitely go out of your way and watch New Blood. But it, they aren't necessary to your initial viewing of the company whatsoever yeah and then that brings us to the main stardom shows which um like every japanese company they run well not every japanese company um but they run a lot of touring shows a lot of house shows a lot of smaller shows that are just filled with tag matches and again 
you don't need to watch all of these, right? Like, if you see a show go up and it's from a Thursday in Gifu, don't watch it. <laughs> Save yourself the pain. Do not do it. Um, if it's in Korokan Hall, if it's in Takadano Baba, um, if it's in Osaka Edion number two, that's usually the venues where they try a bit harder. Um, and even Osaka number two, I feel like lately they've been slacking off. Um, a little bit. But places like Korokan um, and, you know, the Takadano Baba places, those are where even if there's a smaller show, there's probably going to be something good on it or the roster is going to be trying a bit harder. Whereas if it's ATC Hall in Osaka, probably not, right? Yeah, um, there there are definitely notable places that they wrestle and they work recurringly um, that you're going to want to check out. And I would I would have a little bit more of a laxed approach than than Alex necessarily. There are certain matches that you will enjoy from some of these house shows that are really you know in the in the uh, lesser lesser ran. Of venues, you know, I mean, if, if you are a big DDM fan and you see a really fun DDM match, go out of your way and watch that. But uh, back in the day, I remember when I first started watching, I would just watch every match from all of these shows. And that was when there was a lot less shows happening. That's not really possible anymore. You know, I mean, that that's not that's not only is that not realistic, but that's also probably not the best way to uh, get acclimated with the company because you will get burnt out because they run a lot of shows. So, uh, you know, for the smaller shows, check out what you want, you know, the wrestlers that you enjoy. And for the, the shows in Korokan Hall and Takodana Baba and the pay-per-views, I would, I would suggest watching the entire shows, get a, get a vibe for how it goes as a entire product. But yeah, for these, for these shows, you know, like the most recent one was Hachioji, which was the most recent house show as of now, as of this recording, uh, you know, there's like one or two matches that you might want to check out, but you don't need to to worry yourself with the three-way battles between Lady C and, and two others, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, they don't they don't put a lot into the house shows anymore that makes them worth watching. Um, it's, it's essentially for the live audience, right? Like, that's what they're there for. And you can usually always tell even, because the roster will just act differently when they're playing to the to the crowd a lot more. Whereas a cork and like they they treat it very differently, right? Or in in Osaka Edion number two, um, but it, you know I think it's one of those where you if you just you know use your brain really. Just when you see a show and it's all tags, you're just you can generally sense okay this isn't important. Um, but if you see a show then because the names usually give it away, right? Like Stardom and Hachioji, you you know that's not important. Uh, Triangle Derby won Championship Battle. That's probably important, right? Like, just using your common sense, you should be able to parse through like what is and what isn't important. Um, but even on Stardom World, where they just put like the date and the location, chances are if you see something like, you know, Fuji or Messe or Shizuoka, that's not an important show, right? Um, so I just think that's one of those things where if you are brand new to Stardom, Try and start at the best stuff, which is a Corrigan or one of the big name shows like a Triangle Derby final or a Cinderella tournament or something like that, you know? Yeah, totally. I I, I very much agree. Um, I think the Corrigans have been increasing in value since cheering has come back. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely Corkins are up there that you are going to want to check out because they usually have, um, if not great matches, the the crowd is always the most excited and the most energetic in a Cork and Hall stardom show. So those are definitely the sorts of matches that you are going to want to check out that aren't on pay-per-view. Um, they are exclusively on tape delay. You're going to want to check out the Cork and Halls and definitely check out the pay-per-views, um, even if it's on tape delay. Those are, those are the must-sees, in my opinion. Definitely. Um, and that's kind of the um, kind of the end of that, because that's pretty much all we can tell you with regards to what to watch and what not to watch. Beyond that, just watch whoever your favorites are once you have favorites. Um, we'll get I, into the roster a little bit later. Yeah, that's, that'll be a separate part. Um, I suppose the, the next thing, and I think this is an important thing, because stardom can sometimes be so poor at keeping English fans up to date, what resources should you follow if you want to like keep super up to date with stardom right um so the main two are obviously stardom twitter accounts so stardom has two twitter accounts uh one in japanese one in english the english one is at we are stardom and uh the japanese one is at wwr underscore stardom so these aren't the exact same i find the japanese account is generally a lot more informative but obviously there's a language barrier there but that's where they will generally announce matches it's where they will announce shows it's where they'll upload clips it's where they'll give more details about promos but there is still that language barrier um because i don't know if you find this but with the the english we are stardom account i find it often leaves out key details about matches like when somebody will make a challenge sometimes they'll just leave out an important part of the story that was told or they'll leave out the date that was mentioned or they'll leave out if somebody asked for a stipulation right like uh in my experience the english stardom account while it is decent at keeping you up to date with everything it can often leave out a lot of key details oh yeah certainly um we'll get into like the alternative methods of of engaging with the company and following the company uh in a moment but i do think that the japanese account is the smarter of the two you you gotta do the auto google translate type thing uh for that obviously unless you know japanese in which case i don't know why you're listening because i think you gotta have a good like a lot of the less access accessible things about the company are more accessible to you but if if you are an english speaker like the two of us or if you are just not a a non-japanese speaker like the two of us you definitely it's hard because the good translations um are harder to find than just on the english twitter account um but yeah i i would say definitely Definitely keep an eye out for that Twitter account, the, the Japanese one, WWR underscore stardom. That is the, the one that really gives you the information that you need. Yep. Um, now, there is perils to uh, <laughs> both stardom accounts. Um, just because of, I, and I'm pretty sure this is a company thing, um, if you like quote tweet or reply with negative stuff, they will block you. They will not hesitate. You will get blocked um sometimes this is regardless of how negative it is but yes and sometimes i find right. that they vanity search i'm 90 percent sure that they sometimes search for <laughs> stardom and block you because i think that's how i got blocked because i stopped engaging with the english account and still got the block um but th- that can present an issue like if if you're somebody who's used to quote tweeting 
a company's uh, Twitter account and telling them how stupid they are, you're gonna get blocked like instantly. They and, don't like they and, don't care. Yeah, let me let me give a little bit of my anecdote. So this was like uh, two or three years ago. Um, my favorite wrestler in the company is Azumi, and she was losing. She was on like a losing streak at a point in time. And I quote tweeted the English account and I said, "Damn, Azumi lost again. That sucks, dude." And then I got blocked by both accounts. <laughs> um, so it, it's not a matter of like, like obviously we do not suggest throwing hate whatsoever, but it's not just a matter of being a hater or being aggressive or being, you know, genuinely mean spirited towards the company. It is very minor criticisms as well that you're going to want to stay away from interacting with the account with those types of criticisms and those types of tweets if you do decide to engage with it because in my experience it does not end well <laughs> yes yeah they are very they are very block happy um thankfully because joshi fans are insane um there's a few resources that will keep you up to date anyway um the, the biggest one is um i find scott is great um, obviously, he's the guy that like runs this network, and uh, he's a he's a good friend of ours, and he's like the Joshi yeah. guy these days. Um, but that's Scott E Wrestling. His Twitter, he will usually, you know, quote tweet with any stardom announcements, or uh, he'll be watching the shows live because he covers them for Fightful, and he'll be able to tell you if there's any big announcements. Um, obviously, he'll like post his Fightful reports as well, and so he posts news about stardom so he's a good resource if you want to keep up with stardom just in general right is just like keep up with scott because he will he's always kind of on the ball with stardom in pretty much every way yeah yeah uh definitely scott is the the probably the best when it comes to uh non you know like not literal uh japanese accounts or guides guide accounts he's he's probably the best follow uh for news about stardom uh that mm -hmm. there is um and then i would i would toot our horn <laughs> um <laughs> i think stardom quest as a show is a good way to keep up with with stardom because that is what we aim for it to be um but also we both write about stardom um for different websites so you will occasionally write about it for wrestling inc i write about it for uh voices of wrestling and last word on sports so like if you, uh, if there's a stardom show happening, I will generally have uh, something written up on the news that's happened. Um, usually, not long after the show ends, right? So, even if you're just looking for general news, then yeah, places like Voices of Wrestling, Last Word on Sports, um, those are good as well. Um, and then we get into the more translator side. Uh, so the first one is a guy called Himanshu Doi. And his Twitter is at Himanshu underscore doi. And so that's H-I-M-A-N-S-H-U underscore doi. And I'm pretty sure everybody knows yes. how to spell doi at this stage. Um, so he's Japanese and he translates. Oh, no, Wait, is he not? Never mind. Oh, okay. Um, so he translates a lot of stuff and he is fantastic. He's very in-depth. Um, yes. He'll like translate videos. He'll translate like promos that Stardom will post from on the Japanese account. Um, he'll keep you up to date if like t wrestlers have tweeted out something interesting. Um, he's a great resource to follow in terms of keeping up with not just Stardom but everything because he was he was kind of on top of uh, all the Sari stuff when that was going down. And um, 
I know he, he was keeping up with like Takase when there was a, an announcement about her with regards to Himeka. So um, Doi is is like almost an essential one. Yeah, um, he he just kind of started uh, translating like this uh, mm-hmm. in the past six months or so, but he has been a very big help to um, people who want more translated content in terms of stardom. Uh, he has he has like a YouTube channel, I believe it's called HD Subs, and you know just some of the more character moments of some of these wrestlers. They they do talk shows and do appearances, and the only way that you can see any of that subtitles is from Doi, and he's a great great resource in that way. So yeah, mm-hmm. go follow him on Twitter. Um, go follow his YouTube. I believe there's a link to it on his Twitter. So um, yeah, just just follow him. He has he's a great translator for um, stardom and a lot of Japanese wrestling in general. Definitely. Um, another big one for stardom is Dana. And that's yes. at It's Dana now. And Dana posts translations of the post-match and post-show comments, as well as press conferences. Um, now, she doesn't do it, like, straight away, uh, which is kind of a big difference between her and a lot of the translators. But hers are definitely very detailed. So if there's ever a press conference and you want to know fully what went down on that press conference, Dana will have you covered eventually. Um, and she puts all that on her blog. It's uh, Shine Today, Believe Tomorrow, which is a, is a nice play on the stardom, stardom thing. Um, but I, I find Dana to be great, especially for us, because she's the one who, when Sony doesn't post the details, Dana does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've I've often credited her in many of my personal articles about uh, stardom or, or Joshi wrestling in general um, because she is such a great translator and she's very she's very in tune with the details like you said that a lot of a lot of people aren't right there there aren't a lot of translators for for stardom as of right now but she's definitely the most detail oriented and you will find a lot of nuances that you wouldn't necessarily get um if you have to translate it, auto translate it on Twitter or whatnot. So definitely if you want a bit more in depth on especially like the lore, so to speak, of of some of these uh wrestlers and their matches and how they feel about this sort of stuff, uh definitely check out her blog. It is it is a great resource as well. Definitely. Um another one, and I think there's only one after this one that I want to name. Uh this is Shigio. Um Shigio is a bit of a controversial figure <laughs> in Joshi circles. Um, but his his Twitter is at sg underscore oxxt, and he keeps up with he's he's kind of like Kamanshu in that he keeps up with um, like whenever Stardom posts on the Japanese account if there's like an important promo or if somebody has said something important he's usually on the ball with them. Um, but what he does great is he also keeps up with Shupro. Um, and they're always posting news and like different articles about different Joshi groups and he'll translate them to help us keep up with them. So uh, Shigio is a great one because he keeps up with Shupro and Shupro will have like important news that's out of the ring, but they'll also usually have like some added storyline depth because stardom wrestlers will always help enhance their stories by telling stuff to the newspapers and the magazines and stuff like that. So he's good for that stuff. Yeah, there aren't many people who do translate that. So it is it is important. Uh, if you just keep an eye out, especially if, if you follow other people in the Joshi circles, and that sounds very 
weird to say, but if you follow other people who follow Joshi, you'll probably see him pop up on your feed because he is often the person to, like you said, get really in-depth with the shoe pro side of things and the more uh, inherently Japanese side of things, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. because uh, he, he's just the one that, you know, is is the most in ingrained into the culture because he is Japanese. So it's, it's always smart to kind of keep an eye out for his translations of things just in case yeah. uh, the other translators that we have spoken about can't necessarily get to certain pieces of information like he can. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, now, the only thing is when Shigeo talks about ice ribbon or actress girls, just bury your head in the sand. It is not. Yeah. It does not end well. Um, and the last one, and this one isn't as important as it used to be. Uh, this is Dragon Moon. It's at one two 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 Dragon Moon. Um, Dragon Moon used to be a lot more prolific um, in translating like interviews and uh, like I know Julia used to write her weekly articles and he uh, Dragon Moon would translate them. Um, but what Dragon Moon mainly does now is they attend every single show pretty much, <laughs> so they're yeah. always posting like move names, different facts about the wrestlers. Um, Kind of stuff like that. So Dragon Moon is a bit of a weird one in that I don't think they're as essential as they used to be. Like, I can't remember the last time uh, Dragon Moon did, like, a proper translation. But they're at all the shows, and they they speak English and Japanese, so they can keep you up to date really well. Like, um, like this post on March 11th was that it posted all the details about the song Meltier came out to. And how it was to like promote their upcoming EP, and I don't, I don't feel like anybody else has that level of detail about the the Meltier entrance, the, as uh, as Dragon Moon does, because they're they're at the shows. Yeah, and also if if you are a fan of uh, photography and wrestling photography, uh, there's a lot of great photographers who take pictures of Stardom, but Dragon Moon has a lot of great personal pictures they post on Twitter. Uh, so if you are a fan of that and you just want to see kind of the the intimate side of the Stardom shows outside of you know Stardom World and outside of the you know the barrier that ended in a camera type of thing, you can kind of see that in the pictures that he takes. But yeah, he used to do a lot more translations. He just doesn't do that as much, but he is always a, a good follow just in case. Yeah, and that's uh, that's everybody that I can think of. Um, like those are all the resources, and obviously this is like a constantly changing thing. But you know, if this beginner's guide makes you eventually listen to Stardom Quest, we usually keep up to date with like who is and who isn't great for translations anyway. So we'll probably put you onto them eventually. Um, but I think that's it for part one. Uh, we tried not to make it too long because this is really just like the most bare bones essentials. Of getting into stardom um i haven't decided yet what part two is going to be it might be looking at the tournaments on the big shows it might be more of the factions um we'll decide that but for now uh that was part one and uh i mean i hope it was helpful yeah um it's a bit more freeform than you might see other people with their beginner gu beginner's guide uh it's a lot less concise in that way, but that's kind of how we roll. Uh, we, we like to have more of a conversation-based, uh, you know, informative, but still just discussing what is what we are interested in or what we are, you know, the topic of discussion. In this case, it was a beginner's guide. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, like Alex said, if, if you want to get knee-deep into it, 
we do have a podcast every single week where we talk about whatever is happening that week in stardom, whether it's, you know, the shows that just happened, the shows that are going to happen, the news, all that good jazz. Uh, check us out over there. Or if you're already here, because this is, this is also a podcast, then keep listening because we, we, we still going. We still at it. We still at it. Hell yeah. So with that, that is the end of part one. Goodbye. Later. Welcome to part two of our Beginner's Guide to Stardom. I am Alex and I am joined by Dylan. As always, we are from Stardom Quest. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, um, welcome back. It, it hasn't been long. Um, but if you're on the YouTube, uh, we're doing a multi-part Beginner's Guide to Stardom as part of the Five Star Network just to help people learn more about this, you know, the biggest Joshi promotion in the world right now. And uh, one of the most buzzworthy Joshi groups we've had in a long, long time. Um, and this is part two. Dylan, what are we doing for part two? Well, today, or part two, for the people that are here for the feed. For part two, we are talking about the championships and the tournaments. The things that uh, kind of make the world of stardom go round, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. There are many There are many of each of them. There are, I think, currently four reoccurring yearly tournaments and there are eight championships in the company um yeah so there's a lot of that there's a lot of stuff to talk about in that uh and we're just gonna go through that before we get through the the roster and go on a deep dive uh next time around so yeah so part part three will be about the roster and the factions because that's obviously the most important part that's the most detailed part um to start off with, we decided to go for a more overall picture. Part one was basically just us talking about how to get into stardom. Like, what's the most basic stuff you need to know? Uh, how do you watch it? What what should you watch? What brands there is? All that kind of stuff. So if you are uh, if you are new to stardom, and this might be a bit confusing to you, it might be better to go back to, like, part one and then come on to part two. Um, but, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're okay with just this. Um, but we're going to start today with the tournaments, um, cause there's less of those and they're a little bit easier. So the newest tournament stardom brought in and they only kicked this off this year is the triangle derby. And that is a trios tournament. So it, it, you know, stardom has kind of done trios tournaments in the past. Like they would do the faction tournaments over like two shows or over one show sometimes, um so it just made sense to eventually do a league of six woman tags because they are a faction based company everybody has allies there's nobody on their own so a trios tournament made a lot of sense and uh earlier this year they did bring one in it is a two block tournament you do not wrestle the teams in your block you wrestle the teams in the other block and they've started to bring that in for the tagged uh, 
a tag tournament as well, which I don't I don't love that format, but that's what they well, seem they to be going it, with. They didn't do it last year for the tag tournament. It's just they yeah. sometimes do it. They yeah, do they, it they they pick and choose, really. The, the rules of these tournaments aren't set. They do change them just year to year sometimes. Um, but this year for the inaugural Triangle Derby, uh, it was two, two blocks. You wrestle the teams in the other block. Top two teams of each block go through. There was semifinals and finals. And uh, like presumably, the winner of the tournament gets an Artist of Stardom title match. Uh, the Artist of Stardom belts are the, the trios belts. Um, but this, this year, year, the champions yeah. won. Yeah. So it didn't really work out that way. Yeah, so we don't know if that's the case. Um, but with, like prominence who are the title holders were like, well, we're in the final. Uh, so let's put our artist belts on the line in the final as well. So the final became both a tournament final and a title match. So I have no idea. That's presumably not going to be a thing for every tournament. Um, but that was how the Triangle Derby unfolded this year. Um, the Derby, though, I feel like you might agree, it was very underwhelming. It wasn't. It wasn't great. Um, it was definitely a way to fill time in between the Tag League, which is a bigger tournament, and the Cinderella, which is a also a bigger tournament that's coming up soon. Uh, they just, just wanted to fill some dead air the first few months of the year. So outside of key championships, or not championships, key wrestlers in the in the tournament, a lot of people just kind of took the day off on, on mm-hmm. a, a lot of these. So, you know, like in this year's at least, because for for most of, cha- most of the tournaments, we have a lot of prior knowledge. We have a lot of you know, uh, just history to, like, go back off of. For this year, the first Triangle Derby tournament, it was definitely the fourth most important tournament of the year. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's definitely the distant relative to the more bigger tournaments for stardom. Uh, but there were some good matches, some good stuff. But definitely, if, you know, if, if, if you're someone like me who likes to watch an, a tournament in full as much as possible, this is one of those ones that is less necessary for you to watch every single match if that makes sense yeah it's definitely like like i copped this very early on but almost every match ended up where the clear loser and you know air quotes worst member of her team would be in the ring for a long time with the obvious winner and that was kind of where you know usually in trios matches and stardom you'll get like lots of really cool pairings going at it but in the Triangle Derby, for some reason, it was always, okay, you're going to get your ass kicked, and you're really good, and that's it. And we very rarely got the best wrestlers interacting, or even the best pairings. Um, so it, it was really just an odd tournament that was really heavily carried by the outsiders. Um, but, you know, I, I figure if they do it again, they might shorten it, or they might change the format. I don't really know. There is potential there, though. Like, we, when it was first announced, we were both like, oh, this makes obvious sense, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, the trios, especially, you know, in the past few years, the trios belts and just trios in general have become a very key part of the stardom calendar. So it makes sense for them to have their own tournament. I know, you know, we can't get to all of the tournaments stardom has ever done, but for a time, the high speed championship was kind of getting, uh, a lot of members in in the division because of foreigners and whatnot. So they did a high speed Grand Prix. Uh, that didn't last very long because I think COVID cut it off. But 
they they have these divisional tournaments every once in a while. This one seems to be the one that's going to be staying around long term. And it probably makes the most sense because there is the most trios. You know, you can get a lot of people on these cards and it makes the cards more interesting than just, you know, any given card of just, you know, four on four matches, five on five matches just thrown in there. Uh, it, it made it that some of these matches had more stakes than others, even though they were still just these mostly not necessary to watch shows, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that tournament ran from January up until two weeks ago. Uh, we're, we're recording this on the, the 21st of March. So it lasted from January 6th until like the 10th of March. It was a very long tournament. Um, yes. And it seems to be the way Stardom is going to kick off their year. It has slot in right after Stardom Dream Queendom, which is like the big... Um, year-end show kind of thing and then they go into the triangle derby and that's when they like kickstart a lot of their tournament their storytelling for the next big shows so it does seem to have found a spot in the in the the calendar um but maybe one that doesn't lend it to being a very great tournament because it's always going to be one of the first building blocks to other things you know yeah totally um I suppose that's enough of the Derby because there there's not really a lot else on it because it is it is so new. Um, moving up to I guess the next most important tournament, you have the Goddess of Stardom Tag League, and as the name might suggest, that is Stardom's tag tournament. Um, if you're a fan of New Japan, All Japan, any pure promotion, you know the tag tournaments. They're kind of iffy. <laughs> like I find very hit or miss. Yeah, like the Goddess tournament was it two years ago was just such a drag it was no fun it was like right after one of the best gps ever we were all waiting for the big december show it was just kind of dead and then last year the g the tag tournament was fantastic like we had a ball of a time but it was it was still in that like dead zone between the gp and dream queendom but it was just so much better than usual um so the, the Goddess of Stardom Tag League is one where sometimes it is great and sometimes it's it's a bit iffy. No, yeah, that, that's that's one percent uh, the case. I feel like you know I've I've been watching for four almost what five years now, and mm. every tag tournament gives something different, but it also sometimes lacks certain things. You know, uh, there's there have been some great teams in tag league that don't necessarily get to tag very often. Uh, for, for people who are more in tune with stardom, Sayakamitani and Saeeda tagged up for like the first and only time long term in the tag league in twenty nineteen. And that was when a lot of their personalities started to grow, right? Because they both were pretty new and they allowed themselves to really like flesh out their characters, right? And that was a really fun time for them. Even though they weren't the greatest team, it really like it lended itself to them. But then certain years there's not a lot of that. It's kind of just like matches for the sake of matches and eventually someone's gonna win uh which i guess you could just kind of say is wrestling but in this case i think the tag league because stardom has such a great tag style in my opinion it should be really great right but yeah sometimes there are certain things that kind of hold it back a bit uh whether it's the uh teams that are involved or it's just the vibe of the of the shows that they are on uh, it, it definitely takes a backseat role to the other tournaments uh, that we will talk about in a minute. Yeah, and I suppose that is because it's like after the GP where, 
you know, everybody's... Yeah. Well, not everybody, but a lot of the roster has done a pretty hellacious schedule of singles matches, so a lot of people aren't going 100%. Um, and then the people and who also, are going 100% are, like, the middle of the card. Yeah, and also the, the GP is historically known to uh, take a toll on wrestlers' bodies, obviously. So not only are they, like, you know, not going at 100% because they just went at 100% for months before that, uh, but also some of them might be injured. So, like, I think it was that year that you were talking about uh, one half the tag team champions was Julia, and she was absent because she got hurt. Um, mm. And that kind of takes away a big part of it. You know, like, a big part of Tag League is defeating the only tag team champions at that time that are in the company. You know, like, that's a that's a big part of it is the the bounty hunting i like to like to call it but sometimes because of injuries and because of what happens earlier in the year what happens in you know the five star it affects the quality of life of the tournament that follows it which is the guys star on tag league yeah um and i suppose it's it's another one of those where uh the winners get a tag title shot and so you know there's no real huge reward for winning it i don't think it's a real launching point or anything like whoever wins is just the challengers and that's about it it's not an important tournament but it does fill a spot and sometimes it's very entertaining yeah i mean like last year seven up had like a star making performance because uh Mm -hmm. if if you know anything about us uh we were uh, kind of hesitant about the pairing of you and denai takahashi who we'll talk about in a little bit but they really had a star making performance in that tag league and then they won it, and then they went on to win the championships, and it became like a real thing that's like, oh, their starting point was really that tag league. But if you look at it, neither of them were in the five star. So that also aids in their in their uh, run as, you know, in, in that tag league. So it's definitely a hit or miss tournament. There have been some great tournaments and some great tournament finals, uh, especially back in the day with like Momo uh, in Queen's Quest. I think she really excelled in basically every uh goddess tournament that she was in but more or less there are a lot of cases where it just is a a step down from the singles tournaments in the company definitely definitely um and i suppose that's really all we can say on the goddess tournament it's uh as i mentioned it's two blocks or maybe i mentioned this it's two blocks uh sometimes you wrestle the teams in your own block sometimes you wrestle the teams in the other block um generally it's a 15 minute time limit for every match so they're they're usually on the shorter side um and they don't do semi-finals for this one you just the two teams go into the final so the the, the triangle derby is actually the only one uh the only block tournament where people go semi-finals which i think was just to to bump it out a little bit more so they could get more mileage out of it um yeah. but like for the the gp the, the block winners yeah, um, I actually I like I like semifinals in tournaments. I personally think it's like interesting for the block tournaments, but it, it is only used in the uh, first version of the Triangle Derby. We don't know if they'll continue to do it in that way, but mm-hmm. as of now, that's the only one that does that sort of thing. Indeed. Um, now on to the next highest tournament in the totem pole, and uh, this is a pretty big one. This is the Cinderella tournament. Um, this usually happens in the springtime, I think about April, May, generally, is, is when it happens. And uh, the Cinderella tournament has had a few different formats over the years, but it is it has always been a fairly important tournament. Um, 
it reminds me of like the best of the New Japan Cup in that at its finest, the New Japan Cup could really put somebody to the next level. Kind of like yeah. they did this year. And I know this is a spoiler, but with like Sonata, where Sonata winning, it feels like, okay, he's moving on to the next step. He's probably not going to beat Okada, but he's clearly evolved from where he was. And I think Cinderella Tournament, more often than not, does that, right? Like with Arisa Hoshiki, that was her, I'm back, I'm fully here. Like, this is my company moment. With Julia, that was her, you know, yeah, I had the draw with Hannah, but now I'm a winner. I'm going to become white belt champion. This is my company. Uh, Tam Nakano, did Tam win it? Tam yes, did, did win it. Yeah, Tam won it, and Wait. she... Was it Tam or was it Saya? It was Saya. Saya yeah, won it so, and Tam yeah. was champion. That was that was the thing. Um, so Saya Kamatani won it. And for Saya Kamatani, it was also, okay, I am putting myself in the conversation to be the white belt champion. And with Mirai, Mirai won it. And it was like, okay, Mirai is legitimate. So like the, the Cinderella tournament so far has been a very important one for stardom in that the winner is usually being set up for something important. Um, you won't always get to do that. Like I feel like this year, whoever wins it won't get that because of how they've laid it out this year. But generally, winning the Cinderella tournament is really important. Yeah, totally. Um, and it, it used to be like to give a little bit of uh, background. It used to be a one night, a one day tournament, and that is why it has a different set of rules, like the time limit and the overtop rope and stuff like that. Uh. They, they used to have it on one day. Nowadays, they do it over, you know, four days, roughly. Uh, and, yeah, it's single elimination. It is definitely used to, like, put somebody to the next level, right? It, mm-hmm. For for the five-star, which we'll talk about in a minute, it's that's always kind of been, like, cementing someone at their spot and being like, okay, this is, like, superstardom. Like, yeah. they are they are firmly the next up. Like, they're they're there now, right? Uh, whereas with the Cinderella tournament, it's more of like a star making thing. I mean, Sai Kamatani, who won it in 2021, she was, you know, that was her first like singles, like big singles opportunity ever. You know, like like she she had had you know future star championship matches whatnot, but that was like her defining moment from where she was a rookie and like somebody on the other card to somebody who is firmly in the place of a white belt champion, even if they don't win the championship yet. Like you said, it is similar to New Japan Cup. Uh, and yeah, it, it definitely held a bit more mystique back in the day, I would say. Uh, it was, it was, it used to be, like I said, held in Korokan every year, and that used to be their biggest single show draw, pretty much. Like they would sell out Korokan basically every single year with the Cinderella tournament because it was a very unique tournament and it had a very unique uh, vibe to it. The The winner of it, doesn't necessarily get a white belt or a red belt match like it's they could choose which one just like the five star which we'll get to in a minute but it is technically just they get a wish of their own which obviously to this point has only uh been championship matches but you can pick the red belt you can pick the white belt it doesn't really matter uh but usually it's a white belt championship match after you win the cinderella yeah and um you kind of touched on it there the cinderella tournament has its own set of rules which is what keeps it so special on the stardom calendar um so they did briefly experiment with like 15 minute time limits for all the matches 
but I believe for this year and last year, that's down to 10 minutes. So every match up until a certain point is 10 minutes. Um, you can win by pinfall, submission, or over-the-top rope elimination. And if the match goes to a draw, both wrestlers are out. So it's always had that very different feel to it where because of the over-the-top rules and because you can get eliminated without even losing, it's a, there's always been that uh, kind of aura of unpredictability to it. And that's why it's always stood out so much because, I mean, Arisa Hoshiki eaten um, of multiple people in one show you just can't touch that right like that that's the easiest way of putting somebody to the next level in wrestling is having them beat multiple people um but you can also then not have them beat like the biggest stars because i think arisa hoshiki beat like konami in the in the final was it or the yeah the final yeah because all of the biggest names can go out by getting thrown over the top rope. Or you can throw a big name over the top rope and have that be your moment. So the rules have always lended it to being a really different and interesting tournament. Um, and the more they play into that, the better it is usually. Um, but I feel like the rules always give them that flexibility of having it be a tournament that can be won by people outside of the main event picture. Yeah, um, it's it's very much a case of you aren't going to see Sherry versus Utami in the final, uh, or I guess I should say Julia versus Sherry in the final, who are probably the most protected wrestlers in the company, because either of them at any point can get thrown over the top rope or can get forced into a draw and get eliminated in the first round. You know, that's that's what really changes it and separates it from a tournament like the New Japan Cup or any uh, single elimination tournament, really that it, it has that strict rule set so that it allows for people to move forward that wouldn't necessarily move forward in, in certain other circumstances. I mean, last year, it was Koguma who was the runner-up. Obviously, Koguma mm-hmm. had a, a roll-up, and she had a flash pin. She was very um, smart about how she wins matches regardless, but she found herself, out of 31 wrestlers, she found herself in the in the second place, right? That's not something that you would see in a five-star Grand Prix. Like, Koguma, as much as I love her, she's not going to be the, you know, she's not going to be in the finals of the five-star Grand Prix. So you, you do get to see a little bit of flavor and a little bit of, you know, different vibes from the Cinderella tournament, uh, even to this day, as it becomes a bit more, uh, I don't want to say, like, uh, basic, but it becomes a bit more streamlined with what you expect out of this sort of tournament. Uh, it still has the the rule set that kind of allows some uniqueness to it. And I, I personally am a big fan of that rule set. Some people aren't, but I, I think it's a great differentiator for the tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's not... Like, I know I compare it to the New Japan Cup, but it, it, it isn't a one-to-one. Like, it's not a match-quality work-rate tournament, if that's what you're looking for. Like, they have to do all of the first round on one show, you know? Like, people are going to have short matches... Things are going to be sprints. You're not getting your spreadsheet matches or whatever it is. Um, like it's a very distinct tournament, and that's why people enjoy it so much. Um, definitely, it's it's not what it once was because you can't replicate that. You know, one show, one night, star making performance kind of thing. But it is still a very important tournament in the in the stardom sphere that can do a lot for people. Um, and, you know, I think it's just one that 
so long as they treat it the way they have, it'll always be somewhat interesting because you never know if the winner is going to be, you know, you never know what the winner is going to do. Like the winner might be the next white belt champion or they might be, you know, somebody who's in a big spot come the end of the year. You know, it's, it's, it's always going to be, as long as they treat it the way they do, it's always going to have that importance to it. Yeah, totally. And it, for me, it was one of the first things that got me interested in stardom was the Cinderella tournament of 2018, which Momo won uh, against B. Priestley. That was like, I remember following the results that night and like watching as everybody got eliminated. And I was like, oh, what is like, I was like really interested, even though I hadn't been watching the, the company much uh, or at all, actually, at that point, I was like interested in like, oh, OK, so like this person that I know got eliminated. So like that's why it, it, it's a really fun thing to just watch play out i guess and it you know like not to not to dwell on it but it, it was a, a different vibe when it was the one night in cork and hall uh but it, it still has that mystique to it and it's very interesting and i think it's it's one of the more fun things one of the more fun events in wrestling of over the year uh yeah. I, I really enjoy it a lot yeah big time um now, despite us waxing lyrical about it, it is definitely the number two tournament in stardom. Uh, the number one tournament and 100%. the biggest tournament is the five-star Grand Prix. And this is your more typical, um, you know, compare it to anything, your G1, your Champion Carnival, your N1 Victory, your uh, your Japan Grand Prix. This is your round robin, the best of the best, uh, two blocks of your top names all going at it for a chance to win or to challenge for one of the top two belts at a big show um and this this historically has always been stardom's like number biggest tournament and kind of like dylan said earlier when you win this you are cemented as as the one um like there's a very small pool of people that could win this tournament and uh you know a very small pool of people have won the tournament uh you know when you're talking about former winners like io shirai is, is the only person to win it twice, I believe. So, like, that's how difficult it is to win this tournament. Um, Io didn't win it twice. Did she not? Are you sure? No. Was it my? I don't think it, nobody, nobody's won it nobody's twice. Nobody's won it twice. Mayu's okay. going to win it twice. Okay, That's, that's right. what everybody's kind of rooting I for. I thought Io had won it twice. twice. Um, but all right, yeah. So, um, so nobody's won it twice. Like, that's how difficult it is to win this tournament. Um, you know, former winners, you're talking about people like Utami Hayashishita, uh, Mayu Iwatani, Io Shirai, um, you know, last year you had Julia, before that you had Siri, like, kind of a who's who of stardom, really. Like, when you've won this tournament, that's it, right? Yeah, totally. Um, there's there's a single outlier in that story, but it's besides the point. Um, not trying to throw shade at Tony Storm, but yeah, it, it is very much a matter of if you win this, you are a big freaking deal and over the past few years it has also meant that you win the championship you know like uh since 2020 i mean uh 2019 hana lost her challenge at mm -hmm. the at the follow-up match but since the winner has gotten matches at like pay-per-views they've always won the winner of the five stars consistently won the championship since stardom has moved to pay-per-views so you know maybe this year will change but it's very indicative of where you're at in the company it's like you are going to win the world championship if not right now eventually uh and it's it's a big deal and the matches are great i think that's another thing that 
maybe differs from the Cinderella is that the matches are made to be like every single match is meant to be this is a big deal. Uh, two points means the world and they are going to kill each other for it. And they all have very different vibes, obviously, but they maintain that level of seriousness and importance throughout the tournament, um, which is very impressive for such a long tournament because it is a round robin tournament. Yeah, and over the last two years, like the quality of the GP has been absurd. And um, yes. like the GP final is genuinely one of the most absurd cards you're going to see all year. Like the the one last year was one of the best shows I've ever seen, right? Like you're talking like the best Joshi stuff since, you know, Dream Slam was a thing, right? Like that's how just ridiculous these cards have been in terms of sheer big matches, you know? Um, and and the, the show the year prior ended with Shuri Momo, which is one of my favorite matches of like the past decade. Yeah, like that. <laughs> like it, it was incredible. That one final had what was, it was like Takumi and Shiri, Shiri and Momo, uh, Mayu and Kid, wasn't it? Was it Mayu and Kid? Yes. Yeah, like you would, you would, all of these like great matches on one show. And then last year, they somehow outdid that by doing Suzu and Julia, Hazuki and Momo, uh, Mayu and Kid again, uh, Micah versus Himeka, and um, Tam and Julia again. Like, it was, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, the quality of the tournament has been absurd. And, like, if there's any place that you should watch to get into stardom, it is the GP final. Because that GP final sets you up for the year-end show. It'll tell you who's, who's, you know, the next big challenger for the Red Belt. Um, and you're also going to see one of the best wrestling shows of the year, basically. Yeah, um, obviously that's a few months away. That's like, you know, almost a year away. So if you're trying to get in now, you don't got to wait until then. But if, if you fall off at any point and you really want to see, want to get back into stardom or, you know, whatever the case may be, Alex is 100% right. Getting into it at that show, it doesn't matter if you watch the entire tournament. I usually watch the entire tournament because I'm crazy. But if you just watch that last show of the five-star, uh, it'll almost always deliver, right? Like, I mean, even in the weaker years of the of the five-star, even, you know, I got yeah 2020 was probably the weakest five star I've seen to date. Even then, you know, Himeka and Utami was an interesting final. It really cemented both of them that they had a place at that level, and mm-hmm. it was it was the crown making moment for Utami, and that was one of the weakest uh, five stars I've seen, you know, in five years. And I've gone back, so in, even longer than that, uh, even that was a really great five star final. So definitely, the five star final is probably the biggest show of the year. Uh, that is not like the Ria Goku show, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely always keep an eye out for that. Uh, it, you will get overwhelmed and possibly even burnt out if you try to watch every single match, but it is definitely a place where you can find your favorite wrestler. Uh, if, if you need to do that as well, uh, cause there is a lot of opportunities to see them, obviously. So, you know, if, if you're kind of, Say you're treading water in stardom, you're watching some of the pay-per-views and whatnot over the next few months, and you kind of dig a wrestler, then watch their five-star. You know, watch their performances and that, and kind of get to know their move set and get to know what they do in, like, the 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 average match that they have. Because while they are going hard, and they are, like, obviously 
delivering as much as they can in the five star wrestling 10 matches, you know, 10 very competitive singles matches within two months is going to kind of show you the pros and cons, the weaknesses and strengths of each wrestler. And it's very interesting to kind of dive into that uh, once you get a bit more acclimated with the roster. So don't, don't be, don't be intimidated by the amount of matches there are. Just watch what you want to watch, but definitely that's the tournament that you're going to be wanting to watch. If you are a big fan of those more high stakes, you know, serious sweaty matches type of thing. Yeah. And I mean, if, if watching an entire tournament doesn't sound great, then They've kind of made it easy recently in that, like, the first two days and the final usually have the majority of the cool stuff, right? Like, the the first two days last year were on pay-per-view, and the final was as well. So, like, they they straight away were like, okay, these are the, the important ones. So if you don't want to, want to watch everything, then, yeah, it's like, watch day one and day two, because they're going to be in big venues. Uh, watch the final, and generally they load up the Corkins as well. Yeah, which is yeah, I mean, it, it falls in line with what we said uh, on the last part of our guide is that, you know, the pay-per-views, obviously, you should be watching. They are what you are going to want to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Korkins, the Takadanababas, you know, some of those bigger shows that even if they aren't necessarily live, uh, they will usually have the bigger matches, even in the five-star. It, it stays true for the tournament. So uh, similar to what we said last time, there are obviously going to be shows in, in the five-star that are not obligate you know obligatory viewings because some of them just some of them are main evented by just matches that don't really matter uh aren't that big stakes and the rest of the card is is similar in in tow so yeah definitely keep an eye out for what shows are good because they usually based on the venue you know what i mean definitely um and that's i think that's everything about the five star um they, they do have time limits for the matches that fluctuates pretty heavily like it was 20 minutes one year it was 15 minutes last year no idea what it's going to be going forward 15 seems to suit the entire roster a lot better 15 is the best yeah better because the 2021 had a 20 minute time limit and that was a rough tournament um yeah and ever since uh, uh the 15 has worked out better so like it it depends on that um Two two points for a win, one point each for a draw, kind of standard stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, time limit can usually change how good or how bad some of the stuff is because, uh, I mean, wrestling what 10, 15 minute time limit matches is going to be a lot easier for them than twenty minute. So um, that kind of does depend. But otherwise, I feel like we've got across the GP is the big one. The GP is the very yes. important one. Winning this is very important. And um, yeah, in recent years, they have followed the New Japan kind of trend of the GP winner challenges at the biggest show, uh, the kind of the big year-end show, depending on how you look at it, uh, which for Stardom has been Stardom Dream Queendom. And that does kind of lead to an issue where you have the GP winner and you'll have the champion clearly on a collision course and everything they're doing in between is limbo like the the champion clearly isn't going to lose the belt in between so those defenses lose a bit of their luster um although last year i thought they did really well at avoiding that because they only had one defense i think between them um but there is a bit of a gap yeah poor micah um but there is a bit of a gap and i think a lot of people who have maybe watched 
Puro promotions before are well aware of that kind of fall off after the big tournament because the, the company is waiting to do the big match. And that does kind of happen in stardom. But you're usually happy for it because the GP is a very exhausting experience. Um, for us, as people who have been doing Stardom Quest and uh, like watching the entire tournaments for the last few years, it does drain you quite a bit. So uh, the fall off is expected, but sometimes it's you don't really mind. Yeah, um, it's it's a good tournament, but it definitely does. Uh, it's a lot of matches. I mean, last year it was 158. Mm-hmm. I want to say around there 160 maybe you know it's a lot of matches to watch uh and that's not including the recent edition last year i don't know if they'll keep doing it of the play-in series where they have rookies fight for a spot in the tournament through a smaller tournament so it's like it's a lot you know the 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 five star and the things surrounding the five star are a lot to watch Mm. so you know pick pick and choose with that like i said uh the five star is also the only singles tournament that historically has uh it is also well not the only one because the cinderella is similar but it historically is for either championship after you win it you can challenge for either championship uh io shirai actually challenged for the tag titles uh with mayu uh in 2014 so that was a very unique and that's not going to happen ever again <laughs> but no. uh you you can you can challenge for whatever belt you want mayu most recently in 2018 she challenged for the wonder of storm championship instead of the world championship uh but in the in the recent years it has been consistently for the world of storm championship but if if they throw it off and they're like oh well i want to challenge for the white belt this year um then that's always a possibility same thing vice versa the cinderella is usually for the white belt but Occasionally, you will see someone challenged for the world championship uh, outside of, coming out of the Cinderella tournament. Yeah, like the Cinderella tournament, you get a wish, and like technically that can be for anything, but it it it, it never has been. Um, you get a dress. You they they present the tournament to you in the the Cinderella dress, which is usually very nice. Um, yeah, I think that's it for the tournaments. Um, so we've mentioned a lot of these belts before and i just realized that we had agreed beforehand to do the championships first and then i forgot but we're gonna get into the titles (laughs) of stardom now so stardom currently has seven belts um with one coming on the way Uh, by the time this goes out that belt will be in circulation they will have crowned champions but as of now uh that belt doesn't exist Uh, we're gonna start with that it is the new blood tag team championships so um as we explained in part one, New Blood is like the sub-brand of stardom and meant to be about showcasing the young wrestlers in, in the Joshi scene and in an attempt to kind of give that brand a bit more importance, they've given them their own set of tag belts. So these are the second set of tag titles in stardom. And we've been asking, or at least I've been asking for secondary tag belts for a long time. Because oh, yeah, this roster can, can handle it. Um, so these are presumably just going to be tag titles for the lower card. People are going to win them uh, on New Blood. They might they might lose them on shows that aren't New Blood, but they're going to win them on New Blood. Um, and you know they're going to be for there's going to be a clear ceiling to to what these belts do. But hopefully they can give a chance to people like you know, maybe like a Hanan and Saida to do something because Stardom does have an issue sometimes where a lot of people are just doing nothing. They're in limbo. Um, whereas with these belts, maybe people like Hanan and Ida could have two or three defenses, have some cool matches, 
and just kind of refresh in people's minds that, hey, we're good at this, you know? Yeah, and I mean, the the reason, the idea for us uh, as, as, you know, Joshi Wrestling fans of, you know, historically is AJW used to have these tag belts called the Japanese Tag Team Championships, which were firmly undercard tag team championships. They had their big titles. Uh, but they had a second set as well. And those often stole the show back in the day mm-hmm. because it was these hungry, younger wrestlers who didn't have much to do. So they were like, oh, this is going to be like my showcase. This is going to be what I do to really show off what I am and what this team is. So you have teams uh, from back then that would just really like, again, steal the show with the tag championship matches, the Japanese tag championship matches. And that's what I hope comes from these new blood tag team championships. Um, it's not clear yet because they haven't really been unveiled yet. The 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 winners haven't won them yet. It's, it's happening in a couple of days. But that's definitely the hope is that people like Asai Ida and Hanan or, you know, a My Sakurai even with, with Chan Yoda is, is teaming right now can get that opportunity to defend a championship to kind of feel what it's like to be a champion uh, before they eventually either uh, sink or swim with a actual, you know, full-fledged big-time championship in the future. Um, it'll it'll be, I hope, a great experiment. And yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes with the New Blood Tag Team Championships. But as of now, we don't have a lot to go off of outside of they are pretty. Yeah, I like them. I think they're nice belts. Um, but yeah, I'm happy they're being brought in, and I'm optimistic that we can get some cool stuff. Um, now, the next belt to kind of talk about is um, it's kind of a weird one. It's the SWA Undisputed World Women's Championship. Uh, the SWA stands for Stardom Wrestling Alliance, which was a shortly lived kind of partnership with Stardom and I think a promotion in Spain. And was it Eve, maybe? it was eve there, there, it was like it was like it was a thing with like i want to say like six companies yeah uh half of them are now defunct <laughs> yeah and um, one of them has changed names i think oh yeah of course um so the the intention of this belt was that it was going to be defended kind of all across the globe uh, i think the tournament to crown a winner was in spain was was that am i correct there was the first champion crown I feel like that was... Uh, yes, in yeah. Barcelona, in Barcelona. Yeah, I had, I had a feeling. EO over Tony Storm. Yeah. Interesting. So it was meant to be this, like, internationally defended belt. Uh, the rule is that you can only defend it against people from a different country than you, which is why they generally don't put it on the Japanese wrestlers. Like, the first champion was EO. She dropped to Tony. Tony dropped to Viper. Uh, went to Utami, who'd, like, never defended it. Then it went to Jamie Hayter. Then it went to B, Priestley. And you can kind of see there, they gave it to people who could wrestle as many people as possible. Because if you're a Japanese, you can't defend that belt against other Japanese wrestlers. So, like when Shuri won it, Shuri had to be like, hey, technically I'm from the Philippines. So uh, I can wrestle whoever I want. Um, So it's always kind of been a weird belt because it is hamstrung by that rule where... Especially, yeah. Especially during COVID, when they couldn't get foreign wrestlers in, which is a dead belt for a long time, and it does have phases where it's a dead belt. Like currently, it's been vacant for months because they don't. There's nothing to do with it, right? Like Tekla's held it, 
Mayu vacated it. Uh, like there's one other foreigner now in the company who could, I guess, win it. But then it's pretty obvious that she's gonna win it. Like it's a belt entirely dependent on foreign wrestlers, which over the last three years have obviously been in very short supply. So it's a belt that has potential. Like series Rain really showed you what it could be, but they've never really. They can never go all in on it because of that rule that you have to defend it against people from a different country. Yeah, and one thing about the lower card stardom belts is that they also are very willing to sacrifice them for uh, making their top stars look good, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that was the be- that was the most obvious case for the Tekla Mayu move because Tekla, when she came in, it was like, oh, she is. She should hold this SWA belt for like a year. You know, she she should hold it forever because she's a great foreign wrestler. She's from Austria, I believe. Yeah. So she can defend against the majority of wrestlers, regardless of if they are uh, foreign or from Je- from Japan, because the majority of foreigners that Stardom brings in are from the UK. So she can defend it against any of them. She could defend against Japanese wrestlers. And it's great. She can really like show her stuff with this belt. And pretty soon after, Mayu... They were like, oh, well, we want Mayu to be the, the the Grand Slam champion, like Io was. So Tekla quickly lost it to Mayu, and then Mayu vacated it because she didn't need it. So they are very they are not hesitant at all to sacrifice these lower card belts for wrestlers that might not need them. They might be above them, and it often ends up with the belts looking worse uh, as a result. Uh, Sherry also vacated it when she just stopped defending it and started uh, seeking the red belt and she won the red belt. She was just like, okay, I don't need this anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And one thing about, about a championship belt is if consistently there have been wrestlers who vacate a belt cause they just don't want it anymore. It, it, it's not that, that <laughs> it's not that great of a belt. It's not a very protected belt. So that's kind of the, the thing with SWA belt right now it's vacated. It doesn't even, we don't even know if it'll actually come back, but as of now, it is still a championship, technically in circulation with the company. Yeah, and th- I think that's the thing with with stardom, um, and to to maybe just warn people is that below a certain point, a lot of these belts will always fluctuate depending on whether they have something for it. Like if they have a cool idea or a wrestler that they want to push with a certain belt, they'll do it. But they might drop it to somebody who they don't care about, and then. The belt kind of fades into obscurity. Um, and we'll talk about that, I think, a bit more later with a, a specific belt. Um, but the SWA is another example, definitely, where she, they wanted to give Siri pay-per-view matches to show people she's one of the best wrestlers going. So they gave her the SWA belt. She kicked ass with it. Then she won the red belt and was like, yeah, I don't, I don't need this anymore. And that was kind of it. And from there on, it was like, okay, this belt has gone down in in their estimation so a lot of these belts do fluctuate based on whether they have something for it or whether they have a wrestler in mind that they want to push with it and uh that is no more evident than with the swa belt yeah um i have long been a critic of how they treat the swa belt yeah i think there is a lot of potential there especially when they start bringing in more foreigners which Mm -hmm. they are obviously going to do uh I, I always was like, oh, I think you could really build this up before that time comes, but they just are not doing that. So that's that's one of my bigger critiques is 
the the SWA belt and how it's been handled um, in recent years. Definitely. Um, and from there on to another belt that has had a bit of topsy-turvy time, we have the High Speed Championship. Um, originally coming from Neo Ladies, briefly spending time at JWP, uh, this belt was brought to stardom by Natsuki Taiyo, who's probably one of the best high-speed wrestlers of all time. Um, and they've kept it around, and it's had a few different kind of eras to it. Despite the name... It is not always a high-speed title, and it hasn't. It hasn't. Like Tayo went 30 minutes with Yoniyama for this belt. Like it's nothing new. The emphasis usually is on high-paced, uh, really intricate counter wrestling with lots of flash pinfalls. Sometimes people will have this, and it'll be more akin to a junior heavyweight belt. Like Starlight Kid's reign was basically just this being a junior heavyweight title. Then it went on to Azumi. And Azumi being a true child of high-speed wrestling than, you know, Kid was. So this is another belt that really flips based on who's holding it um, and can also fade into the background when they kind of don't have any ideas for it. Like, Azumi has it now. She's had it for a year. She's defended against all comers. And I know once she loses it, they're not going to have anything like that in mind. So... The high-speed belt is one where the name might conf- might be a, a little bit of a lie sometimes, but it can all, it also can sometimes be that really cool high-speed wrestling. Um, but it definitely depends on who's holding it and kind of what stardom is feeling at the time. Yeah, and there, there have been a lot of uh, interesting champions that have been high-speed champion uh, and a lot of interesting challengers. I mean, I... I started watching the company when the high speed championship didn't exist for a while uh because mary apache had it and she took it back to mexico and she wasn't defending it there uh so uh that was when i started watching i was like oh there's another championship that's cool but since then it has kind of gone up and down depending on who holds it uh the kid not spoil series some people are very big fans of it i as a high speed purist feel that they are very you know they, they don't encapsulate the high speed championship as well as they could i think azumi's run with it has uh and i am i like the belt a lot like i mentioned there was a high speed grand prix that part of me really wishes they would bring back every once in a while when they are able to because they do have a few high speed wrestlers and there are a lot of foreign talent that can wrestle that style uh that i would really like to see do that but with the impending graduation from that division of azumi and starlight kid uh it'll definitely take a even more backseat role the belt i mean mm-hmm. uh in the coming months and years unless you know somebody pops off uh that is a high-speed wrestler you know there is tecla there is uh kogma hasn't held it since she came back there are wrestlers that can held it, hold it and do some stuff with it but it'll definitely take a backseat once this generation of high-speed wrestlers ultimately uh surpasses it and no longer challenges for it yeah, and and just to clarify, this isn't like an IWGP junior heavyweight belt kind of thing. Like this isn't a weight limit and then you surpass no. it kind of thing. Like everybody is technically eligible for the high speed belt. It's just that the amount of wrestlers that want to wrestle that style is kind of dwindling and lately it seems like you have to move beyond that for stardom to really get behind you at a higher level like with starlight kid 
you know, Kid had her high speed reign, kind of moved on from the division, and then was tag champion and Aris champion. You know, like it is it is a belt that could technically be held by anybody, but there's a very clear ceiling on how high they're gonna let it be. Um, but it is different to like a junior heavyweight division. It's not a division of like people of a similar size or weight. It's open to everybody. It's just that it's it's a style that the company isn't really focused on. Yeah, and the that what well, that's one misconception about the high speed belt because Hazuki uh kind of made a joke about it when she was champion a couple years ago that Hazuki believed that the high speed championship should only be contested in matches that are ten minute time limits. Uh, she believed that only wrestlers with six packs should be allowed to challenge <laughs> for them. Um, I think she had one more rule. Uh, I think it was like, oh, anybody that loses to Azuki is a loser, or you know, like whatever. But that, so that's a common misconception is that it's like, oh, you need to be this kind of size, you know, this kind of shape, and it should be, it's going to be under ten minutes. I personally think that would be interesting, but Hazuki did end up losing that belt to not Kaori Yoniyama, who is, <laughs> you know, does not have a six pack, uh, and the match was not under ten minutes, as far as I remember. So you know, it, it it's definitely like a kind of meme that's like, oh. The wrestler should look like this, and the wrestler uh, or the matches should be under 10 minutes, but they never really stay in line with that. So there is no technical limit to holding the belt. It's more of an X Division belt than it is a junior heavyweight belt. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great, a great equator. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much else on that belt. Uh, currently, it's Albi Azumi, as I said, and she's kind of held it for a year and has been like the big, you know, establishing herself on the belt. Um, but, you know, once she drops it, it feels like she's going to move past the division because she's done everything that's in it. Um, but speaking of people moving past a division, um, our next belt is the Future <laughs> of Stardom Championship. So the Future of Stardom Championship is kind of as the name would uh, would indicate. It is for the younger wrestlers on the roster or the less experienced wrestlers, kind of just to give people on the lower card a bit, a bit of a showcase. Um, so the current limit is you aren't eligible um after the age of 21 i think it is or once it was 20 that's yeah the last time i remember all right so once you hit 20 or once you pass three years of experience as a wrestler so it's a belt that you know kind of has its limits in that case where it's always going to depend on how many wrestlers they have access to that qualify for it um, and it's a belt that can disappear sometimes. Like, Tammy Ayashishta had it when she was the super rookie, and that was kind of the thing of, like, hey, like, she's important, we're giving her matches, that kind of thing. And then she vacates it, and it loses a bit of that importance, and then eventually it goes on to somebody like Hanan, who they're very high on, and Hanan starts having these really good pay-per-view openers as future of stardom champion, and she showcases herself and the belt. And then Hanan loses it to Amisore. And Amisore isn't getting those pay-per-view openers. Because they don't have the same faith in Ami as they do Hanan. So it's another belt where it will... And also, Ami, Ami has a lot of prior stuff to do with God's Eye. Because she is mm-hmm. one of three constant members. So if they need one of the God's Eye members in a tag team match at a pay-per-view then Ami needs to be there. She can't just have a singles match because she's both too important, but also not 
important enough to have her own stuff, if that makes sense. And that, yeah. that happens a lot with these sorts of belts. Yeah, like they, they they kind of eventually run into a point where somebody has it and they're almost unbeatable. So then they vacate it. Um, so it, it is another belt where it will fluctuate in importance based on just who's in the division, who they want to push, all that kind of stuff. But it is a really important belt. And I think it's been a very important to a lot of wrestlers. And um, I feel like it's a very good thing to have. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, Ruaka and Hanan, and even Ida, but she she obviously got injured when she held it a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But it is a very big deal for wrestlers who haven't been able to have a big deal yet you know like kind of like kind of like the cinderella belt but to or the cinderella tournament but to a lesser degree because obviously it has those limits so it's not like this is your uh ticket to stardom it or not that's a good pun it's not like this is your ticket to stardom but it is an important accolade for the younger wrestlers and like you said someone like hanan had you know she was the best future stardom championship of all time or champion of all time she held it last year uh it was a real moment for her to kind of like push herself to the limits she had never had a match had a singles match over 10 minutes before uh before that championship was introduced to her i should say so it is an important belt when it wants to be an important belt but one one verb or one use one adjective i guess i ascribe to a lot of these belts sometimes is belt buckles because sometimes they are nothing but a like little prop for them to wear sometimes mm -hmm. and they don't really defend them they aren't really necessary they don't really matter that's kind of where amisori is right now right she's defended the belt a couple times uh i don't think most people would remember that if i didn't just say it because it's just not it's not important right now but some something like last year when hanan was defending against uh, tomoka inaba that was a very big moment for the future storm championship so like like the other undercard belts it definitely fluctuates it has its very high points but it also has moments where it's just you forget that it exists definitely yeah and i mean you can't really blame them because it is so dependent on who's within the rule set and yeah you know ultimately i'd rather it be there and fluctuate rather than not be there you know like i'm okay with belts sometimes just not being the biggest thing in the world so long as they are used at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's another one where somebody like Hanan has it and they're going to put a lot of effort into it. But then once Ami gets it and they aren't as into Ami as they are Hanan and they're just waiting for somebody to come along that they do like. And, you know, that does happen. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it is an interesting one, but... You know, kind of as you said, like somebody like Hanan really got a chance to come into her own as champion. Uh, Ida did great work with it. I feel like Micah as well. I don't, I don't know if Micah held it. She did hold it, didn't she? Yeah, she held yeah, it for a while. Like Micah, I thought gained a lot out of it as well. So, you know, it's one of those where you at least get the chance to showcase yourself, and you know, a lot of wrestlers would kill for that opportunity. Like a lot of people who are beyond that future of stardom mark would kill to have a singles match in cork and you know what i mean so i do think that even when it's not as important it is still good for the wrestlers to have yeah 100 percent. and you know i remember there was a moment where they they wanted 
like each member of Cosmic Angels to win it, but they only had like a month left before they were no longer eligible. So they just passed it from Unagi to or from Mina to Unagi to Ruaka, and it was kind of a mess. Mm. It's sometimes it is just an accolade for an accolade. You know, it's just like it, it really doesn't mean a lot, but sometimes it means the entire world to a lot of these younger wrestlers. So, uh, you know, and and the thing about the under twenty rule is that there are still wrestlers that are under twenty that you know, have been wrestling for a long time, longer than three years, but they will be able to get that first championship uh, sooner than if there wasn't a future star championship. You know what I mean? Like, like Rena is ready for a future star championship run. She's only 16, I believe. Uh, she's ready for a run with that belt. Whereas, you know, if there wasn't a future star championship belt, she would have to be waiting, like, you know, at least five years before she, like, even sniffs a championship. Uh, mm. So it is good for these these younger wrestlers who obviously there's less of them nowadays. Most of, most of the wrestlers they're training are over uh, 20 years old or at least over 18, 19. But it is good to have that for these younger wrestlers so that you know uh, Rena isn't gonna go beltless for the next seven years. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 definitely cool because of you know the, the way the trainee system kind of works where people aren't pushed from the start. So it does give them something to win and aim for before they reach the level of actually winning the belts. Because, you know, Stardom does have an issue where there's a big part of the card who just isn't going to win a belt unless it's being the third person in an artist title run or being the loser in a tag title run. Um, that would, I mean, people like that would kill for a future of Stardom title. Um, but I think we've, I think we've yeah. put over that belt enough. Um, so the next title to talk about is the Artist of Stardom Championship. So this is the Trios belts. Um, this is this like makes a lot of sense for Stardom because they have factions. Like everything is so set on the factions, it just makes a lot of sense to have a Trios title because you have such an easy avenue to do three-on-three title matches. And I feel like over the last few years we've seen these belts gain importance a lot. Like there was a point where these would just bounce from team to team and they were kind of just there, you know, like like the days of Natsu, Andras, and Kagetsu holding these are gone, right? Like you have had a... That could have been such a good team, man. But... Yeah. <laughs> but you've had such a clear emphasis being put on these belts since basically Bushiroad came in to make them important. And I can kind of see why, because sometimes they steal the show, but also they give three people something to do and i think that's really cool like like ever since cosmic angels had that first like record setting run these belts have had a lot of importance and i think that's really good for everybody involved like you look at last year when momo kid and saki got to have them and got to have multiple defenses on pay-per-views like what would they have been doing if not for being trio champions like if these trio spells weren't important they, they probably wouldn't even hold them. It'd be like Saki, Ruaka, and Kid or something, right? So they've done a good job with these belts of making them more important over the last few years to the point where now you have prominence holding them. And that doesn't feel like, you know, a low ball to prominence. It feels like a further continuation of building up these belts. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. I think the artist belts over the past few years have definitely... Uh, 
I don't want to say even necessarily improved, but they are a lot more reputable, mm. I would say. And somebody like Prominence coming in, being outsiders, and winning the, the trios belts is a big deal. And they made it even a bigger deal with the Triangle Derby uh, for as much as we kind of uh, dismissed it, I would say. It, it definitely, the combination of the RS belts and the Triangle Derby put a team like Prominence that didn't have a ton of uh, rep going into it as a trio because they are not members of the Starm roster officially. Uh, they completely, they look like absolute superstars. Uh, and it's completely through the uh, artist division of, of the trios division. So I would say the artist belts are very, very important nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I think a lot of the matches are usually pretty good. Uh, both DDM, which is my Himepoi, and Cosmic Angels held them for like year long reigns. And since then, they've become a bit more fluid. And I like that as well mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like they should be changing a lot. And they are, you know, if, if a show has nothing but title successful title defenses the rs belts can change hands and it's important enough to be like oh that was interesting without it being like oh this is like the end of the world because these people don't have the belts anymore it's a very it's a perfect level for a trios division to have i think yeah the belts are perfectly perfectly centered right now and because of the because of the three-person team aspect it can also give people their first title reign like if they didn't get the yes. future belt, like Hiromi Mamura is a former artist of Stardom champion. Like she doesn't win a belt if not for the artist titles. Um, Azumi's held it a couple times. Yeah, like Azumi when she was like fourteen. Yeah, like Azumi even before she got pushed was holding these belts. Um, I think you look back at um, who was it going to be? Even like two two sure. years in, Takumi Aroha uh, had them. Like. Uh, Dakota Kai had them. Yeah. Dakota Kai held them with with some. And, and Micah, like Micah's Micah's first title was the RS belts as kind of the third member. Like it's it's a really valuable thing for some people to get their first title win because they can just be the third part of a really good team. Um, and while the belts have kind of leveled up a little bit from that, I think we'll we'll obviously see it go back to that. I mean, you know, as much as they were pushed, I don't think Tam Unagi and Mina were like this unstoppable trio. They were there was a clear like lower link there, um, and even the same with like Saki Kid and Momo. It was like okay, Saki is like the clear one that isn't pushed as much. So there's always going to be somebody there who's getting an opportunity from these belts, and I I think that's their best you know use is is giving that third person something, even if if it's their first run or if it's a mid card or just getting something to do when otherwise they'd just be in multi-person tags on, you know, second from the bottom. Yeah, and I feel like we've talked about Hanan a lot today. But, I mean, last year there was, it's even for, like, championship challengers, right? Hanan got her first, like, major championship mm-hmm. challenge against the RSS Arm champions. And she lost, but it was a real star-making performance for her. And she could have won that. Like, it, it was not outside of the realm of possibility for her, Hazuki, and Koguma to win the RSS Arm championships. And I think that really is important as well because Starm does have that issue of stagnation, right? There are a lot of wrestlers who can't really break through whatever glass ceiling they're dealing with. And it becomes a problem because people love certain wrestlers and they just are not capable of doing anything because they just aren't in line for the, the major championships. Well, the RSS Starm championships is something that 
if they put even the slightest bit of effort into, they can probably find a way to give someone like Saeeda a artist championship run or mm-hmm. someone like Hanan in her, in her younger age, an artist of stardom championship run. That That's, that's the, and, and I would say that's kind of the end of like the lower to middle card championships. The, the last three are the big ones and the fourth one isn't a storm championship, but we'll talk about that a little bit. Yep. Um, but though that's like the end of the middle card, the lower card and at their best, they are made to elevate wrestlers at their worst they are unimportant, mm. right? I think that's kind of the the theme of these championships we talked about so far is that they have the capabilities of being star making championships, making wrestlers seem like a bigger deal, and just elevating them to the next level that they need to get to. But when they aren't doing that, and when they aren't capable of doing that, they are just around and they look pretty. You know, what I mean, like that's that's their use yeah. uh, sometimes. But the top championships obviously have a consistent used to them even though one we'll talk about in a minute also kind of struggles sometimes but we'll talk about it. yep um and the next ones to focus on are the goddess of stardom championships uh these are the tag titles in stardom um these have always been really well presented um the tag division in stardom isn't like it is in say new japan right where you have to be in a set tag team or else that's it you know it's a lot more fluid as far as the pairings go lately they have kind of got very strict on tag teams but even then um and they've kind of always been like that like these belts are often held by pretty big names um and the matches are always kind of presented as a big deal like you know there's been eras of this these tag belts where mayu and io would hold them or uh, like, I'm pretty sure there's one where, like, Kyrie and Miko Satomura challenged for the tag belts. Like, what company, what other company would do that, you know? Um, so the tag belts in Stardom have always been really important. Um, and I feel like they almost always deliver great matches as well. Like, some of the most memorable matches from recent Stardom history are tag title matches. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to see a company with a flourishing tag division. And it's definitely one of the things that Joshi, I find, does a lot better than pretty much anybody. Like, even TJPW has a cool tag division. Uh, even some of the smaller companies, like, I would say Ice Ribbon's tag division is kind of cool. Um, but, like, Stardom's is like, oh, okay, this is great shit. And there's always something to, to kind of entertain you in this division. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. I think that the tag belts are phenomenal, especially in recent years. Uh, and going back i think one thing that you will notice about these belts though is sometimes a alk will come up uh and an alk for those that don't know is julian shuri or was julian shuri and that will sometimes happen where it's like they will have two major single stars that don't really have anything to do they'll throw them together and they will just win the belts and so if you are a fan of that kind of more new japan style of like oh these tag teams have been grinding as tag teams and they are working as a tag team constantly and they are trying their hardest and then they win the championships. And then, you know, you have two main eventers win them out of, out of nowhere just because they have nothing else to do. Sometimes it'll get scuffed like that. It'll get, you know, the tag division quote unquote, will get a little bit, you know, pushed to the side in the favor of the bigger names, but consistently I would say that the tag division is a great part of the stardom 
uh, ecosystem, and I think the tag team championships are phenomenal as well. Uh, I think Joshi has always had this thing where like tag team matches can be just as good, if not better, than the singles matches in you know main event caliber uh, type of thing. And I think right now Seven Up is doing a great job with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the Goddess of Stardom Championships are really dope, even though they do sometimes have certain downfalls. I think they consistently, more more than not, are great championships. Yeah, this is one of those that I credit with Rossi's time in AJW. Um, you know, for people who don't know, uh, Rossi Ogawa, he's, you know, used to own Stardom before he sold it, and he books it. He's been in wrestling since the 70s, and he worked for AJW. And, um, you know, AJW, despite international fans knowing it for, like, the 90s, where it was, you know, Toyota versus Kong or whatever... In Japan, the biggest periods for AJW were off the back of tag teams. It was Crush Gals versus uh, Dump Matsumoto's crew for the you know tag belts and stuff, and it was Beauty Pair versus Black Pair. So Rossi is used to seeing tag belts being presented as super important. And I think that's something he's always taken with him to Stardom. Because I feel like Stardom has always presented the tag belts as a very you know, highly esteemed prize. Not on the level, obviously, of Crush Gals or, you know, Jumping Bomb Angels even, but, you know, very much as close as you can get without those, you know, massive tag teams. Yeah, um, I, I totally, I agree. I think that it is, I think the Goss of Stardom Championships are maybe not on the level of that 3WA Tag Team Championships because when you look back at that, they were sometimes uh the lifeblood of the company where like the if the red belt wasn't getting defended that often it was the tag team championships that would step up i think that is somewhat the case nowadays but not to the same level i mean we just saw a god's storm championship match headline at cork and hall and it was a phenomenal match between seven up and bmi 2000 you know they still have that ability but it is more a step below uh the other two championships that we will talk about in a moment I will say, though, that the increase of a more, you know, cemented tag division has made the belts a bit more interesting because it is less of like a more important artist of Star Championship and more very distinctive, you know, because like back in the day, it would often be like the top the top member of the of the faction and her sidekick winning the belts. And nowadays it feels like two, you know, partners who are going at it for the championship very, very specifically, if that makes sense. Definitely, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they were never going to be on the level of AJWs, but I mean, I do think they're relatively as close as you can get in in the modern day. Um, But I suppose with that, we're moving on to the top three, I guess you could say. Um, So the next one, I guess, to focus on, and this isn't a stardom belt, but it's obviously ever-present in people's minds, the IWGP Women's Championship. And so this is very firmly a New Japan belt. Um, Stardom, when it was introduced, rushed to make sure that everybody knew this is not the top belt in Stardom. This is not as important as the red belt. It's not as important as the white belt. It is just kind of underneath. Um, So it's kind of in a weird spot because it's, it's never been defended on a Stardom show yet. Uh, That will change obviously with, you know, the uh, rumored Mercedes versus Mayu match. Um, But it's one that is always going to 
be there, I guess, because it's going to take up... There's going to be somebody who has this belt at all times. Um, and so far, it's been part-timers, but eventually, I think it's going to settle on a main eventer or an upper carder who just doesn't have anything to do is going to have that belt, and that'll be their thing. You know, like, Mayu always made sense as, like, the perfect first champion because she's a legend in stardom, but they're not exactly pushing her at the moment to give her that belt and let her do the New Japan stuff. Um, so I think we're still waiting to see where this belt fully settles in with stardom. Um, but I assume it's always going to be on somebody in the upper card. Like, I don't see... I'm not sure I ever see somebody underneath the, say, Micah level hold it. Yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying. Um, as for challengers, it's also quite interesting because I feel like more or less a lot of wrestlers are hesitant to challenge for it that haven't don't have like that history in stardom, I guess. Because I remember Starlight Kid specifically said that she has no ambition of challenging for the belt because she's busy trying to get other belts. Uh, but someone like Azumi, who is the next challenger for Mercedes does have that desire so it it also is a belt that not everybody's going to challenge for not everybody's going to like and everybody from stardom is going to go after because there is plenty of belts to go after and some people just aren't you know at that level or you know in that in that zone but it is a major championship and it is an interesting one because it will display stardom to newer fans that are fans of new japan that might not see a lot of stardom. So that that's a great thing for the company. Uh, I'm sure that some people listening and watching right now are here because Mercedes is champion or because they've heard about the IWGP championship and they want to find out more about stardom. So it's a good championship to have, especially for like marketing reasons for stardom, I guess you should say. But it is a completely separate entity from the world and wonder of stardom championships and that's been made abundantly clear because you don't want them to get mixed up if that makes sense because mm. there'd be conflict politically yeah yeah it's definitely in a very weird spot um and i, I mean i don't see it becoming a very important thing for us like at most it's going to be defended on stardom shows maybe twice a year you know it will be that you know the big uh spring show and whatever they do in december uh will be kind of the ones um, but it's you know it's worth mentioning because it will be ever present and there will be big stardom matches given away for New Japan like Kyrie versus Tam. Kyrie versus Tam is a main event match in Stardom. Is a six minute match in New Japan, right? Like that's it's kind of get to a point where maybe it's a bit of an annoyance. Um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but I suppose that's that's kind of all we can really say on that belt because it is so new and it's it's mostly a new japan thing um the undeniable top two belts in stardom though are the wonder of stardom championship and the world of stardom championship uh most people will refer to them as the colors uh because the wonder belt is white and the world of stardom title is red and people usually say offhand oh it's the white belt or the red belt you know because that's just easier but when they say white belt they mean wonder of stardom when they say red belt, they mean the world of stardom. Um, and I feel like this is as close as any company has ever got to a 1A, 1B title scenario. Like, this isn't 
the world title is the clear number one and the wonder belt is clear number two it's a lot more fluid than that like it is like the peak of the intercontinental title title in new japan where it was being held by really really popular guys it was having the best matches on the shows it felt like a 1b and obviously new japan fecked that up by getting rid of it um but stardom has kind of always had that with the wonder belt like it has always been on an even level because the first person to hold it was yuzuki aikawa who was one of the most popular wrestlers in early stardom like i don't know if early stardom is a success at all without yuzuki aikawa so even though she didn't hold the world title she was probably the most important person to the promotion and from her on the wonder belt has had a lineage of really important wrestlers who i feel like when they get this belt their aim is to showcase like the heart of stardom and the the greatness of joshi like it's a belt where people get it and they just want to have the best reign and the best match possible and to showcase everything that they have and that's been true since aikawa like the wonder belt is such a unique and like interesting belt and stardom has always treated it with a lot of reverence yeah similar to other white belts before it um it is very much that workhorse belt and that workhorse mentality and i always really enjoyed that um the wonder belt has often also been like the work rate belt i guess you could put it uh i remember again going back to when i started watching there was it was momo watsnabe and kagetsu were the champions uh kagetsu holding the red belt and momo holding the white belt and momo was often the one that was like having these matches that were very technically sound and very technically like smart and whereas kagetsu at that time was very much on the i'm going to just beat the hell out of you and we're gonna crowd brawl and we're gonna do this and that and it was a lot more showmany you know what i mean i think the red belt was always, always had that like kind of showman showman side of it whereas the white belt at that time was a lot more technical and technically based over time with tam nakano and julia's reigns with the white belt they have the white belt has kind of become that championship that has all the passion so to speak which is ironic because uh, nanai never held it but the white belt was always the championship that was like had these blood feuds and these true like you know uh emotional battles and you have to have this like strong emotional connection to the championship and that was always kind of what they peddled and nowadays it's kind of gone back to that momo watanabe style where sai kamatani is consistently having some of the best matches you'll ever see with this white belt mm-hmm. uh and defending it so that that's kind of where it's at now it, it changes every once in a while but it's always has this level of point importance that is like you said almost on the level if not literally on the level of the world of stardom championship yeah i think there's a mentality with stardom and it's never more true than with this belt and maybe it's a bit symbolic then that it's a white belt there's there's this mentality that the champion like the holder of the belt dies the belt in their own flavor like i I think Kyrie said that about this belt she said Mm -hmm. you are the holder and you are putting your own distinct color on this belt and that's kind of what the world of stardom or the wonder of stardom title has always represented it is always one that is so distinct to each champion that it's it's just such an interesting one to look at um 
and as you said it has always been the more like the one about the heart kind of the more emotive feuds or the more passionate feuds but it's it's clearly a belt where people are putting their whole entire soul into having it because that's just the identity of the belt almost like this this is a belt that you have to have something extra if you want to fight for it it's why utami hasn't held it utami doesn't fight for it she doesn't have that like extra bit that makes you a wonder champion just yet like it's it's it is such a distinct belt and it's something that's such an asset to stardom because it does and has main evented shows before like big big shows and it does at times feel just as important as the red belt and because of that it is an amazing launch pad for people like Saya Kamatani has used it over the last year yeah i mean i i think i forget who said it but somebody said that like one of the wrestlers i mean said that the world of stardom championship is the world championship like it is it is the top prize but the wonder of stardom championship is the stardom championship you know like that is the you are the embodiment of what stardom is meant to be in its truest form and that's all real symbolic all real you know cutesy and whatnot it's it's hard to like kind of put into words necessarily but that's kind of the distinction is that the world stardom championship is like you are the best wrestler you're the best woman's wrestler in the world that's kind of what it's meant to mean right but the wonder of stardom championship is meant to mean you are like the personification of stardom you are what stardom is right now you represent stardom it's it's a very interesting dynamic between the two belts but it's really dope because you don't really get that in any other company yeah like it's it's a it go i it's almost hyperbole to say but it is a special belt like like what they've done with it is incredible you know and it's uh it's one that even i feel like every time there is like concurrent reigns like where siri and saya won it on the same show and their reigns were constantly compared to each other and everybody was like oh saya is having the better reign like it's that kind of belt where you can say oh the white belt champion is legitimately the best in this company um and i think that's just really cool and it's it's the matches that are had for this belt are always different to the red belt. So like, if you aren't vibing with what the red belt champion is doing, chances are you're going to enjoy what the white belt champion is doing. So I think that's just something where this, this belt is such a major asset to stardom. Um, and it's definitely one of the more interesting belts in wrestling as a whole. Yeah, 100%. Um, I suppose that leaves us with less to say about the red belt. I feel like this is the, it's such an uninteresting thing. Like this is this is for the you know you are the top dog. Like this is representative of you are the best pro wrestler in the world. Kind of that's the red belt. Like, you don't hold this unless you are a made woman. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. It's it's an interesting belt, but on paper it's just. It's just the world championship, yeah. which is funny to say because the world championship is obviously the most important important one, but it's just the world championship. Uh, I always found it most interesting. I always liked the red belt most, right? That was always mm. kind of my thing. Uh, like I said earlier, I got into it. Kagetsu was red belt champion, and he's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, right? So when I came into Starham, I started watching him. I was like, this is great. The red belt championship, that's my belt. Um, and to this day, I still have a certain affinity towards the belt. But it definitely is the, like, I don't know. There's not a lot to say about it, if that makes sense. It's, yeah. It's, it's just, it is the top it's of the, the world mountain. championship. It's, it's every world championship. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is the top of the mountain. 
like you you don't win this unless you're perfect you know um yeah and and that's been that's been true for i mean look at the look at the champions that have held it over the past few years that aren't british <laughs> yeah like um, the lineage of this belt wait, she's she's australian my bad but yeah. <laughs> yeah um but like the lineage of this belt is it's incredible you know like you go back and it's you know nanai takahashi is the first champion io shirai yoshiko miko satamura kairi hojo io again mayu kagetsu as you say like one of the best of his generation um mayu again utami suri julia like that is a who's who of women's wrestling for you skip you skip the names that i was thinking about of course too, of so course um <laughs> there are definitely people who are confused about us referring to a he for a women's wrestling promotion <laughs> they're like yes. what the fuck so so kagetsu so kagetsu he um he is trans and he came out as trans after his run as a as a wrestler so uh yeah that's, yeah. that's so form, former women's wrestler now a man uh very beloved yes. very popular was a lot of people's gateway to stardom because there was nobody cooler than kagetsu at the time like i don't know if i've i don't know if i've written about any one wrestler more than i've written about yeah kagetsu because he's just, just so yeah he, he like he was the, he was the red belt champion when i got into it like he it was watching kagetsu versus momo that that made me go okay this is it Such yeah that was great um but like that's that's kind of the red belt in in its uh you know it's it's the least we've had to explain a belt because everybody understands a world title is a world title um but especially in stardom the world title has generally meant okay you are very much one of the best at what you do um they have had missteps <laughs> uh it's not perfect but you know it's about as close to perfect as you can get for a company that's had a few rocky roads throughout the years i mean you know, people joke about the Tony Storm run, but she wasn't meant to hold it. Like, that was an accident. Um, Alpha Female obviously held it, which is kind of a, a weird spot, but she held it for like a month. Um, but yeah, so, you know, generally it is a very, it is a belt that can be relied on to deliver. Um, but yeah, I think that, that's, that's really it about the red belt. Yeah, I, I beyond that, I would say that, like, there are certain distinctions about belts that become more than just the belts themselves for example uh the only person to ever hold the wonder and world of stardom championship at the same time is mayu Utani, who we'll talk about next time is the most important wrestler in stardom history i i don't think that you would just i mean important uh, you might say akawa but the most necessary wrestler of all time in stardom is mayu so that makes mm -hmm. sense and even beyond that the only wrestler to hold or the only wrestlers to hold both championships ever, like entire career, are uh Threedom, which is Mayu, uh Kairi and Io, and now Julia. So that's like the biggest distinction you can get in the company. Obviously, Grand Slam is a thing, you know, Io and Io and Mayu both have the Grand Slam, but someone like Julia is never gonna hold the high speed championship, let's mm -hmm. be real. Uh and that's necessary for the Grand Slam. So that doesn't really work. I feel like I would say the biggest. Sorry, not to jump in. I feel like Kid is the next Grand Slam winner, like the next obvious one. Yes. Yeah. Because because I mean, and she'll be the most definitive because she had the Future mm -hmm. Storm Championship. Uh, but you know, I think that is kind of hard to. It's 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 not the same as other companies where it's like, oh, you are a Grand Slam champion if you hold every belt, you know, like all of the meaningful belts. 
because in other companies they don't have belts like high speed champions or for new japan the junior championship doesn't count as a part of the grand mm-hmm. slam you don't need it so that it's kind of different there i would say the biggest accolade you can possibly get in the company is to hold both the world of storm and wonder of storm championships at the same time but that's probably never going to happen so the second biggest and close to the biggest is to hold them both at some point in your career which again only four people have yeah done. yeah i mean it is a definitive like who's who i mean i cow didn't hold the both the two of them and i didn't hold the two of them uh you know the first ones were freedom i'm surprised yoshiko didn't but i feel like i thought she was white yoshiko would well maybe not i wasn't she going to win (laughs) maybe maybe yeah i don't think we talk about that um yeah no but yeah like winning the red and white belt is is a big distinction that you are of legendary status because the i mean the way we've laid it out they are two different belts you have to be good at both things to get them which is why i mean utami's never been in the conversation for this belt um yeah this is this is like off topic but i remember her first one of her first challenges for a singles championship was against Risa Oshiki mm-hmm. and she got bloodied and it was crazy and like that was like a big moment for utami as a character even though she didn't, it was the first time that you saw this like super rookie just like get bald and destroyed uh like she did against Arisa. So it, it brings out character development even if you don't win the belt. Like that's an interesting thing about the Wonder Storm Championship. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely like it's it's just a great belt and I don't want to keep uh, waxing on about it. Um but <laughs> that is um I think that's everything from us for part two. Uh the, those are the tournaments and championships of stardom. Uh, we are hoping to finish up with part three, which will be a look at the roster and the factions, because those are obviously the most important parts. Uh, that might be a bit lengthy, but who knows? We we will have to wait and see. We might we might separate it. We might separate into factions specifically for the YouTube. Potentially, but yeah. we haven't decided. On yeah, that yet. we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I hope this helped. Uh, I hope you're you're still here. You're still listening. Um, and yeah. Uh, cheers. Goodbye. Thanks for watching. Mm-hmm.